Happy Sabbath, church family. Isn't it wonderful to be here worshiping God in his, in his house? I know that we're just a few, but, you know, God is with us. We know that he's with us because we're told that when two or more are gathered in his name, that he is with us. Before I begin this message, we're kind of chuckling about the, the time on this. Yeah. In case you didn't know what time it is, there you go. Whose idea was that? Thank you, Josiah. Uh, I'm happy about it. Okay. Yes. Before I begin the message for this morning, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, this morning we are here to give you glory, honor, praise, and thanks. Lord, we pray that you will help us to join you in, in the going out into the, the fields that are teeming and working for you, Lord, and witnessing for you, our, our Savior and our Creator, Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My message today is why witness? Why do we witness? There's many reasons why we witness. Thank you again, Stephen, for reading that text in the Bible. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 starts out, and there's a great message there of the resurrection that Paul writes about. In fact, he tells us about when Jesus is coming again. He's telling the gospel. He's witnessing. Paul was a wonderful witness for God. You know, there was another witness who is our best example in all things, and that would be Jesus Christ. So we are witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at some texts in the Bible. First text is found in Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 through 52. Here we find Jesus as a boy of 12. He is in the synagogue. He's worshiping. He's part of the Bible study. Verse 41 says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. We know that Passover is a special, special celebration because God protected Israel during that uh, last uh, plague in Egypt. Verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them 
and asking them questions. It says everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? And the NIV that I'm looking at now says, to be in my father's house. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then they went to Nazareth. Jesus went to Nazareth with him and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Verse 52, I learned this as a memory text when I was growing up as a boy. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know, my friends, family, church family, Jesus is our best example in how to witness. You know, Jesus was far advanced at the age of 12. Yes, he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. But you know who his greatest teacher was? His Father in heaven. Jesus knew a lot about prayer. If we want an example about prayer, we should look to Jesus. He spent entire nights in the mountain praying to God that he might witness to others. Do you know when we pray to God to be a witness, he will give you plenty of chances to be a witness, plenty of chances. The disciples came to Christ one day, and let's move over to Matthew chapter 6. You know the disciples, they were just learning. They were learning about spiritual things. They were learning about how they could be witnesses, because that's why they just left all that they were doing, and followed Jesus. That's what he asked them to do. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now that is witnessing. That is witnessing. Matthew chapter 6 is the chapter that we all know, the, um, the prayer that Jesus taught them. It is a wonderful prayer, and it starts out in verse 9. This is how you pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven and on, on, heaven, on earth and as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That is a prayer. And of course, we finish it by saying, in Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. This is how we give God glory and honor. And this is how we begin to witness. You know, when you find out that somebody has a faith in God and they're troubled, they're going through 
through tribulations and bad times, you ask them, can I offer a word of prayer for you, brother or sister? Most of the time they'll say, please do. When we pray for others, we witness to others. Why witness? Why are we witnessing? Why should we uh, witness? Why are we compelled to witness? Going back to chapter in Matthew, chapter 5, this is a wonderful part of um, Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Let's start with verse 13. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, salt here is that when we are the salt of the earth, we are witnesses. We are witnesses to God's goodness and what God means to us. You know, when we witness, we tell our story. All of us here have a story. What is that story? We have a story of what Jesus has done for us in our lives. We can witness by prayer, and we can tell them, if they don't already know, the wonderful promise that we find in John 3.16, which I never have to look up. Do you have to look it up? Never, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I know all of us here love life. There isn't anything better than life. And you know, even through the troubling times in this world today, we still love life because life was given to us by our Creator, by Jesus Christ, who is our example in all things. Verse 14 says, you're the light of the world. When we shine our light to the world, we are shining and we are witnessing. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. That doesn't make sense. Instead, they put it on the stand. They put it on a high stand. So all can see it. It gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, giving him glory for everything he's done for us, for you. This is why we witness. And I think when we think of this, Jesus said it himself. We're the salt of the world, salt of the earth. We are the light to the world. Wonderful, wonderful words of Christ. Let your light shine before men. Witness, witness before men. Jesus goes on and says in verse 17, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them all 10 commandments. And I tell you the truth, 
until heaven and earth disappears, not one smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You know, when everything is accomplished by God, I'm just somebody sending me a, a message. Maybe it's from God. Um, everything accomplished by God is when he comes again to save us, to deliver us. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, we be, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me tell you something. When we witness, we might think of a reward that God has promised, but it goes far beyond the reward that we get. It's because God loved us, and then we love him. We love him, and we love others, because God first loved us. If we do the witnessing because we love, that is the right motive. If you're having a motive, well, I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that, how long are you going to witness? When you don't see the reward and you're not getting anything, your witnesses are going to fade away. You actually have to practice what you preach, practice what you teach. And what does it say about teaching the commandments? And witnessing the commandments, you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I like that sound. I like that sound of being great in the kingdom of heaven, but I want to give God all the glory. It's not me, it's God. So let's take a look at another few verses in Matthew, and it's about what we need to do as followers of Christ. In Matthew 9, 35 to 38, we have what is known as the radical prayer. How many of you have heard of the radical prayer? Maybe you haven't heard of it. Matthew 9, 35 tells us, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news. There you have it, the good news witnessing the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What is this harvest field Jesus is talking about? It is the world, the world. It is where you live, where you work, where you recreate. Whatever it is that you do, witness and do. And whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we sang that song about the fields are teeming. Teeming means there are more than you can count. Because after you get to a certain amount, you run out of time. 
You just run out of time. It's too many. Jesus was another example. In the Gospels, it says that as it was his practice, his example, he went into the synagogue on the seventh day Sabbath. Do you know this Sabbath that Jesus or the Gospels are referring to is the same Sabbath that on the seventh day of crea creation made holy? God, Jesus made the Sabbath day holy, and he, he went into worship. I don't understand people when they say, well, now we, we can change that day. But who's changing it? A human, not God, not Jesus. Jesus is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's never going to change the Sabbath day. You know, there's a big word for the Sabbath day. It is immutable. Dan, you know what that's all about? The Sabbath day is immutable. Unchangeable. Everlasting. Will we keep the Sabbath day in heaven? Most definitely. Most definitely. Matthew chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus. He's there trying to heal the sick. And here come the Pharisees saying, you break the Sabbath day right here. And, you know, Jesus says, you know, you go to all lengths to save that cow in the rut or the sheep in the, in the, what, the marsh or wherever, stuck in a muddy hole. But you do it anyways, and that's not breaking the Sabbath day. And what does Jesus say to the Pharisees, the answer? It is always good to do good things on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Those texts are very important for us as we witness, as we witness to others. It's very important. And when we witness, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, when I think of witnessing, we leave the Bible for a few moments. I think of a man named Desmond. Who do you think I'm going to talk about? Desmond Doss. We know the story of Desmond Doss. Was he a witness? Most definitely. And they knew he was a Seventh-day Adventist. They knew he kept the Sabbath day. They knew he prayed. And you know what? The men would not go back to battle until Desmond prayed for them. We're not going into battle until Desmond prays. And the captain says, I can't even believe this. They have faith because a man named Desmond has faith because of his witness. So the captain allowed it. In fact, the captain encouraged it. But here comes the big bad colonel or whatever. He says, what are they doing? Get up that wall now and get back to battle. And the captain said, sir, they don't want to go anywhere until Desmond has finished praying. That's such a wonderful story about faith and about witnessing. We, we learned something from this, right? This man did not live that long ago. And he was, what did he do when he went to war? 
He was a medic. He never carried a gun, never shot at anybody. But the lives that he saved, he saved for Jesus. He didn't do that for himself. Of course, he did it for his fellow soldier, but he did it for Jesus. There's another. It's absolutely true. There was another, I call him a great man. I call Desmond a great man. But there was a great man named George. Who do you think I'm talking about here? George Washington. You may have remembered one of my messages. George Washington was in that. Guess what he did before they went to battle? He prayed. He got down on his knees and prayed. And, you know, the soldiers that he commanded, they respected him. And he was witnessing to each one of them. George Washington prayed in his personal private prayer time. George Washington prayed in public. He prayed in public. You know, there's a special prayer. It's on a plaque. And it's on a church. And I'm thinking it may be somewhere in uh, near the, the uh, Washington, you know, the capital. And, you know, Washington, D.C., named after George Washington. He's known as the father of this country. And I don't want to compare, but we called Abraham, Father Abraham. I think George Washington was a great man. I'm not going to judge him, but it sounds to me like he was a witness for God. You know, in the Bible, I have a favorite story of mine. Many of them are my favorites, but there's a man named Joseph, a powerful, influential man. His star story is amazing. You know, when he was growing up, he had these dreams, and he shared them with family. And all of his brothers said, I guess we're the ones bowing down to you, right? And they were mad. And there was another time that there was a sun and a moon, and there were, I don't know, some other heavenly bodies. And when you count them, it's 12 brothers and mom and dad. And, you know, that did not make... Jacob happy. He was mad, but he couldn't remain mad long because Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, his favorite of all the 12, and they knew it. In fact, he showed it by making or having somebody make a coat of many colors, a beautiful coat. I'll bet you if you were going to buy that that coat in the store today, you probably would pay a few thousand dollars for it, right? And when the brothers saw that, they said, this can't happen anymore. Well, one day, um, he was sent out to the fields because his brothers, they had this large flock of sheep. And he couldn't find them at first, but he found them, and they saw him. And the first thing they did is they took that that. <laughs> colorful coat off of him. And they said to themselves, you know what? We ought to kill him now. 
and we ought to dip his coat in blood of the lamb that we offer a sacrifice and take it to his father, his father Jacob. Now that would really fix him. But the I believe it was the older brother, Reuben, he said, oh no, let's not do that. Let's just scare him. Let's put him into uh, this uh, cistern, which is the overflow of floods. Well, it was empty. There wasn't any flooding. And they talked about what they should do. And for some reason, Reuben had left. His brothers decided, we're not making any money here. Let's pull him out and sell him to some Midianites. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. I don't know how many pieces of silver that Judas got when he sold Jesus, but they likened that. 30, okay, 30. So Joseph was sold. He went right into slavery, but they thought, we're not making any money, the Midianites. And so they went to Egypt and they found this rich man, captain of the guard, Potiphar. And he he served Potiphar, and Potiphar trusted Joseph. He trusted him. And he put him in charge of his whole household. The problem here is that Potiphar was getting older, and he was married to a pretty young woman, and she seduces Joseph. And, you know, Joseph, he's listening to God. He's going, God... Help me here. I'm in a fix. And there was a couple of times, and Joseph said, you want me to sin against my God and against my master, Potiphar? That's never going to happen. Well, she falsely accuses him, and he could have been put to death, but God would have nothing of it. He was a witness to Potiphar. So Potiphar took him, and he was thrown into the dungeon. But he found favor with the jail master, and so he was in charge of everybody in the jail. And there's another long story, which I won't get into much, but the story of Joseph knowing and uh, knowing how to interpret dreams, kind of like Daniel, uh, he, the Pharaoh found out. The Pharaoh talked to him, and the Pharaoh put him in with all of the smart and wise men there in Egypt. And eventually, because Joseph gave him, the Pharaoh, a good idea on how to get through a famine, you take all the excess wheat and grain and you put them in these big buildings and we'll have plentiful. You know why God did that? It's to save Israel. They were going to die there in Canaan, but they had plenty in Egypt. Joseph of Egypt. Do you know his brothers didn't even recognize him when they saw him? He was just dressed just like an Egyptian. He looked like the right hand of Pharaoh. He was number two in command. Yes, Joseph of Egypt was quite the witness. He was a great witness for God and all of Egypt and the Pharaoh. His life as a, a slave did not last, and he turned into a great and powerful leader, not just in Egypt, but in the whole world, 
because they were grateful to Joseph for selling that wheat, and Egypt made a whole lot of money, probably lots of gold. Yes, Joseph was great, but he was great only because God is great. God is great. And I know that time is short. I see the clock. But I wanted to get to another man that wasn't doing what he should be doing. He might have been a, um, a shepherd. That's a good guess. This guy was a prophet, a major prophet, and he was just like Israel, idolater. And he got a vision, a vision of the throne room of God. And they expressed in, in the Bible, in the Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, it, it describes the angels that were above the throne and beside the throne. And there was some shaking going on, like an earthquake. And it was real to Isaiah. It was a vision. Isaiah couldn't believe it. And he heard the words, Isaiah, I want to send you to witness to Israel. I want you to be my witness. You know, Isaiah was wanting to tell God, I don't think so. No way. And this is when an angel came by and picked up a coal, touched his lips. His lips didn't burn. And I think this was his conversion. And God said, who am I going to send? I see some of you may be following along in the Bible, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. And Isaiah replied, say it loud. What did he say? Here I am. Here I am. You know, that's what Jesus wants to hear from us. Here I am. Send me. I will do it. Now, I, I know a family, a couple. They were sent to Africa. You know them. You know them. You know them. The Crownses. What did they say when Jesus said, who am I going to send? They said, send. What? We will go. You know what? God loves all of us who are willing. That doesn't mean that we have to be perfect or, uh, you know, outperform everyone else. No. It means we must be willing to share in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I'm moving here to close, but I don't want to close without talking about the author of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Who is the author? Paul. After his conversion in the desert on the way to kill Christians, he was converted. Paul's life was a life with purpose when he was converted to follow God. He was an ambassador to the Gentile, the Gentile world. He was a missionary extraordinaire. I don't think I've ever heard of somebody that went and was a missionary to the world like the Apostle Paul. He was a church planter. I know a church planter 
you know a church planter, and his name is Peter. Peter on. He's got the Korean church there in Ontario. He's a church planter. He is. I know. And he was speaking in our church here a little bit ago last year. A church planter. This was Paul. He went back to see how they were doing. He was a mentor. You know, he had one goal. He had one direction to teach, to preach, to witness. You finish that. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? When we go and witness, we're commissioned by Jesus Christ. Do you remember that text where he's speaking to the disciples? It's found in Matthew 28, 20. Let's hold on with that thought. Before we do, Paul's greatest witness to a man was a king. King Herod, ruthless king. And he witnessed and he told he preached, and there were many people there. They came and gathered, and they listened to Paul. Herod was there listening. And there were a couple of Roman uh, guards, Festus and Felix. And Festus and Felix, they didn't want to hear anything more. But Herod said, keep going, keep going. You'll find this in Acts chapter 26. Chapter 26. And at the end of Paul's sermon... He was silent, and he waited for King Herod to speak. And Herod said, boy, you're good. You are good. You're a witness. I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. You're quite the witness. Of course, one, the, the king is secular total. And here's Jesus Christ, the king of kings. And Jesus was silent, and he finally said, King Herod, Jesus Christ of Galilee, you almost convinced me. Who did he say no to? The Holy Spirit. He said no to Jesus. He said no to God. You know, when people say no to us, that shouldn't offend you. Because it's not up to us. It's the Holy Spirit. They're offending the Holy Spirit. So in closing, and I know I've gone seven minutes, seven minutes over, Josiah. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into the whole world as a witness to all nations, teaching them the Ten Commandments. And what does it say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. You know, Jesus is with us when we witness. He's with us when we speak to others about Jesus Christ and what Jesus means to all of us. If you say Jesus is your all in all, you'd be right. If you said Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, you would be right. If you would say that Jesus is your personal Savior, you would be right. If you said he that created you and he wants you to be with him forever and ever, 
you would be right. Now that witness is a witness the world wants to know. You may not think so, and not all the world will accept it. They didn't even accept Jesus as witness. They didn't even accept him. And you know, a lot of them that didn't accept Jesus' message, it wasn't just King Herod. It, were, it was the Pharisees. One of them he witnessed to converted to Jesus. It took him a while after he had that talk with Jesus. But Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and what did Nicodemus do? He witnessed to Joseph of Arimathea. I think it was Joseph that gave the tomb to have Jesus spend the weekend in. And I think those two men were a part of the party that took him off the cross and put him in the tomb. They were witnessing. Their lives were of witness. And like Jesus says to the rich man and everyone else, go and sell all that you have, pick up your cross and follow me. These men actually picked the body of Jesus off that cross. You know, I, I challenge you to whenever you get the opportunity, witness. It might be a little witness. might be a big witness, but witness. And why do we witness? I asked Linda this question on the phone. What did you say, Linda? Yeah, why do you witness? Spread the gospel to the world about Jesus Christ. Yes, you do that, but why? You love him. You love him. Amen. And if you love him, who else do you love? Yes. You love others. You love other people. Right. Let us close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day when we can worship you, our creator, our savior, our example in all things, the one who loves us more than we could imagine. You've loved us with an everlasting love, and you ask us to share with you in the gospel and witnessing of your love, your goodness, your mercies. And that someday, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that you are coming again. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.